Hi, everybody. It's Duncan here at nosermons.org, spirituality for regular people. And I've got a thought today about enlightenment. About enlightenment. I've been seeing a lot of LinkedIn posts uh, of people doing yoga and people getting all meditative and contemplative and all of that. Nothing wrong with them, but I've got a thought about this, about enlightenment and how to do it. Think for a minute about the movie image of the enlightened guy. Go ahead and picture him, and it's usually a him. You're getting images of Kwai Chang Kane, right? If you're of my generation, off the old Kung Fu TV show, or somebody in a towel in the Himalayas, somebody in sandals carrying a flute and meditating all the time. You got to meditate. Everybody knows that. You're probably thinking of someone withdrawn from the world. And we all get that image. It's very familiar. That image of the ascetic, solitary goer. It's baked into us as a culture, and we like it. And that's why, oh, back in the 60s, John Lennon could brag to us about watching the wheels go round and round and managed to live on Central Park West because we rewarded him for that fantasy. That idea that religious enlightenment requires privation and separation from the world is worldwide. All across the planet, the general notion is that we've, we've been given this quantum of vitality, a life force, what, what they call a qi or chi in the Far East or prana in South Central Asia. And the idea is that we protect it from distractions of the world and we nurture it. And when we do that, we ascend upward to some form of, of union with the divine. And ascend is the imagery we use, too. In Western monastic traditions, that language is explicit. We talk about ascension, undistracted by the world, to God. Because it's in solitude, as everybody says, to the point of privation that we're accessible to God, or in the way I actually hear it a lot of the time, God is more accessible to us, which is not the same thing. And in Western Christianity, we imagine that this is what Jesus did. He didn't. To be sure, he knew about this way of doing things. He was exposed to ascetic culture. He, he knew and may have spent time with the Essenes, in the North Hill Country of Upper Judea. The Essenes were a fierce and withdrawn and probably political form of early monasticism. But whether he, whether he spent time with them or not, we know that he didn't stay there. And when he emerged from whatever his formative life was, he came very much into the public. He set up shop in, in Capernaum, which was a ritzy beach town full of retired Romans. And he perplexed religious onlookers by doing things like going to parties, where he laughed and he drank. He withdrew at times for prayer with his father. And evidence is, as Richard Rohr has pointed out, that that prayer was, a, was of a wordless contemplative sort. It wasn't talking to God the way we teach children to do it. But at no time when he was in the world being Jesus, did he ever get 
all ascetic. He had a job and he had lots of friends and he was busy on the lecture circuit all the time. His personal life, from what we can see of it, shows zero signs of anything monastic in any sense. He didn't withdraw, he didn't ascend. By the way, lest you think of it this way, he wasn't a country bumpkin from backward Galilee. Galilee was not backward. Galilee was on the Silk Road. So Jesus grew up exposed to things like Oriental mystery cults. I mean, those three wise men from the East didn't know the way there for no reason. And he was exposed to the monotheism that Roman army families brought back from the Persian frontier. And he was exposed to every manner of latent earth pantheism, nature worship left over from the old Baal worship days. Because Upper Palestine was like that. Jerusalem, by contrast, was a one-industry orthodox town, far more insular by comparison. By the way, Jesus also spoke four languages. Hebrew, because he read in synagogue like every other young man. Aramaic, obviously. Latin, because he could talk with Italians like Pilate. And Greek, because that was the lingua franca of the region. And because he spent several years as a boy in a Greek-speaking part of Egypt. Jesus was not the kind of guy who would go off and get involved in some sort of monoculture. He saw everything and he participated in everything. Meanwhile, we are descendants of one strand of understanding that. We're descendants of the Roman way of understanding the Jesus event. And sometimes we expect strange things from Jesus. Our habit is to codify what he said and vote on the correct way of understanding it. That's what we do. That's why there's canon law. We, we consider the legalities of belief and we focus on Jesus's role predicated on that belief in our salvation. If we believe the right things, he will save us. Well, there's a place for that, but the other strands of Christian understanding aren't like that, particularly in the East, where he's from. And let's remember that most of Christian history happened in the East, not the West. And there, he's understood less as a savior and more as a teacher of wisdom. We know this because we have access to the record of how his word propagated out of his own Syriac linguistic world clear across Asia. He's described in loan words from Akkadian that make their way into Hebrew and also Sanskrit as a whole man or a spirit being. And that's why you'll hear Buddhist cognates like Ehidya from time to time in, in, in Syriac tradition. His parables, recent theologians have shown, are not the sweet Western morality plays that we think they are, but something closer to, to the Eastern koan, designed to disrupt, designed to perplex, designed to leave unanswered, and that's just not very Roman. The Apostle Paul noticed this, and he noticed something else. He observed that Jesus was not a wisdom teacher in the usual withdrawn and ascetic way.
he did not speak in language of ascent into enlightenment. He did not tell us to pursue a God who was distant and hard to reach. In fact, he did the opposite, to show that God was intimately present, right here with us now. And that's why he said, for example, when his followers asked to see the Father, he said, if you know me, you know the Father. Paul actually invented a word to describe this, this way that Jesus talked. He spoke of kenosis from a piece of Greek that means to empty out, to pour out, to give. He said that Jesus, far from hanging on to some you know, finite ration of life force and refusing to be distracted by the world, actually threw all of himself into the world and gave everything of himself away. A lot of us don't think of Jesus like that. In his way of doing things, you don't ascend to God. If anything, you descend. You don't engineer up your success with your creator. You fall back into it. You give up your sense of self, which you learned as a way of coping with the world. And instead, you rest in the self that you were given by God in the beginning. And that makes you generous like God is generous. You love the world by being in it. Jesus said, I want you to love as I have loved you. And that is union with God. It's not being away in some monastery meditating. Now, come back to the very first thought I, I offered this morning. Think about the people whether they've used any religious language with you or not, but think about the people who seem the most attractive to you, the likeliest to have God in them. Think about the people you know who you buy as spiritually sound and, you know, frankly, nice to be around. The most Jesus-like people you know, whether they say Jesus or not. Think about them. Are they prune-faced and theological? Do they spend all their time elsewhere, getting all enlightened? Do they meditate on their balconies with, with little religious icons around them? And do they talk a lot about doing this? Or are they right here? Do they do things like demand to know if you accept Jesus Christ as your personal savior or else you won't be saved? Or are they the kind of people who do what Jesus did and just go ahead and heal you. That's a different way of enlightenment. And that's my thought for today. Thank you very much for listening. Bye for now.